why does nobody say one before they count down to a recording? It's like, you're live in three, two. Is it because they don't trust themselves? Like, they think that they're going to accidentally hit record while they're saying one? I, I don't know. Like, I guess the... The, the gesture of pressing the button record is when you would have said one, but you don't want to displace the countdown. Yeah, it's like you show your own drive. Three, two, and then and then every movie starts with... Well, maybe, they, maybe it's just like a skill testing scenario where they want to make sure that you know two comes after... Or sorry, that one comes after two when you're counting back. Right. And they're like, three, two, and then what's next? <laughs> Yeah. And then you're like, one, you're like, yeah, you got it. You got the jump. It's a demonstration of mental acuity. In fact, it was on my programming exam before my current job. What was? What comes after two? No, no. They're like complete this sequence, you know, and it was a series of integers counting backwards. (laughs) Really? No, I'm trying to make a stupid joke. Oh, okay. Because imagine (laughs) we're Google and we're going to hire you for a senior software developer. Now, what comes after this pattern? Three, four, five, and then? (laughs) Imagine. And then you get six, and they're like, wow, nobody's gotten it so far. (laughs) Right, yeah. (laughs) You put seven, and they're like, "Uh, close enough. (laughs) (laughs) We wouldn't have accepted an eight, but we'll go with seven. Do you think in big budget movies, someone's job is to just clap the clapper right before the shoot? Clap the clapper? You know how to clap? Not the lamps from the 90s, but like, <laughs> there's like a, like the clapboard. You know what I'm talking about? Not a clue. In movie sets where they have that, you know what I'm talking about. It's like a, a board. It's like a whiteboard. You write on it and then it has a snap bar on the top and you snap it. You mean like when they're, oh, you like when they denote like. Uh, it's like telling you what take it is and what shot it is. Oh, I thought you you were either talking about like stage directions for an audience, like for a live studio broadcast. Oh, like someone who's like applause. Yeah, yeah. Or you're talking about like the sound effects guy for a sex scene. <laughs> okay, now you're gonna give him the clap. <laughs> no, like you gotta you gotta simulate like. Now I'm just gonna sound like a horny shit. Never mind. That ship has sailed. <laughs> no. I really don't know where you're going with this. Like, you know, like... <laughs> Clapper, I hardly know her. <laughs> like, like, you know, when nowadays when they say that something slaps? Yeah. That's <laughs> that's what I mean. But that still does not explain it. <laughs> yeah, it does. Like, no. some guy who's in charge of making a slapping noise, like the, the, sla- <laughs> the sound effects guy. <laughs> oh, man. Imagine that's your job. Can you make it sound a little bit more like... A longer pair of balls? <laughs> a longer pair of balls. <laughs> Is that what you mean? I don't really know what we're doing right now. <laughs> That's kind of what I mean, yeah. Okay. In fact, like for the Oscar slap, I was somewhat disappointed that there wasn't a satisfying... It wasn't a pair of balls? No, a, a satisfying slap sound. Oh, but that's how I knew it was real. I know. My dad actually worked at TVO, which we've talked about, and he was like the sound guy. So his job was to basically mix the sounds to make them sound good. And one of the things they'd have to do, he's told me stories about this a bunch of times where like they're doing a stunt scene and someone's supposed to get hit by a car 
and the stunt person gets hit by the car, but like messes up the stunt and actually gets hit a bit too hard by the car. And they have to take that real sound out and put in a fake sound because the real sound is way too intense for an audience. Like it's far too excruciating? It's Yeah, like it's like a crunching thud rather than... Like, you know when you're watching like an action movie and people are punching each other? And yeah. The, the sounds that the punches make are engaging, but they're just not realistic. It's usually no. like a deep thud. Well, the, uh, the a real smack is like super anticlimactic. Right, it's like a deep sort of like thud. It's like when you're like, like pounding a chicken breast. I really thought we were going back to pounding. <laughs> Before dinner or something. But it is it is funny that... Can you try to do a little impression of what that might sound like? Jim? No, I cannot do impressions of sound effects for you. When was the last time you pounded a chicken breast? <laughs> like it's a common occurrence. You're like, Mom, what's for dinner? Schnitzel again? <laughs> she does make schnitzel, though. I think you have to pound the schnitzel. <laughs> you do, yeah. I think it's a stress reliever. It does look fun. Yeah. Does your mom have one of those like meat hammers? <laughs> <laughs> Good lord. Is this a your mama joke of some kind? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like a thing. It's got it's like a like a, one of those mallets with spikes on it. Like a meat tenderizer. It has spikes? Yeah, because it's supposed to tenderize the meat by breaking down the the Tissues, I don't know. I'm not a food chemist. Can't you, can't you just use like a rolling pin or something? Yeah, if you hit hard enough. <laughs> <laughs> did you ever get beat up as a kid, like by your parents? Like, did you ever get spanked or anything? Are you asking me if I, I shouldn't was... say beat up? <laughs> if I ever received corporal punishment? Corporal punishment, yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. I don't know. I got yelled at like a lot. That's corporate punishment. That's corporate punishment? Yeah. Like when you get a tongue lashing from HR from a particularly yeah. loud individual? Imagine HR could spank you. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be so good. <laughs> You've been late on all of your deliveries this week. <laughs> Bend over. <laughs> Bend over. And you have to? <laughs> You're just like, I guess this is in the clause, right? Yeah. <laughs> It's like, imagine if it was even considered, like, socially acceptable on Twitter and shit. <laughs> it's like you you get your progress meeting and they book it in your calendar. And in the notes of your meeting, it's like, three-month review, wear thin pants. <laughs> or you walk in and you see the a- the HR lady and she looks like uh, uh, Professor Trunchable from Matilda. Crunchable, good reference. Yeah, she's eating a a piece of triple chocolate cake, like with a rolling <laughs> pin, ready to yeah tenderize your meat. Seven does not come after five. Bend over. <laughs> yeah, freaking roll doll. Anyway, um, I was gonna say it's it's interesting that like <laughs> I just can't wait to see where you try to take this <laughs> in the like in the world of sound effects. Uh-huh. Like we've been conditioned so heavily since birth to anticipate that certain events typically depicted in cinema sound a very specific way. And it's it's even further fascinating that some versions of these traditional sound effects, we'll say, are a lot more satisfying than others. 
And it just makes you wonder, like, what the fuck? What what does it actually mean when a sound effect is satisfying? If especially uh, the sound effect does not necessarily resemble real life. You know, one sound effect that I like in real life, but turns most people off and might make me a sociopath or something for liking it is because I'm the only one in the world that I know who likes this sound. The sound of stirring noodles. Do you know what I mean? Why are you looking at me like that? Can you please explain your facial expression right now? (laughs) I'm trying to picture what stirring noodles sounds like. Okay, that's fair. I'm not going to try to do an impression of it. Is it like a, like a really wet noise and it's like kind of disturbing? Yeah, it is a wet noise, yeah. Okay, so like when you use a, a, an, an exceptional amount of cheese sauce for your KD. Yeah, see, even just the description is making me sound. <laughs> That's weird. So you you get hungry? I have like a Pavlovian reaction to the sound of stirred noodles. So the reason I gave you like an alarmed stink face was because like that's a that's a lyric in that WAP song from What's Her Face. Oh, exactly. Macaroni in a pot. That's a great ass noise. Right. But it's comparing it to something like super sexual. (laughs) Yeah. Because I remember my dad stirring KD as a kid. And I always knew that it's like he's mixed in the butter. You're licking your lips. You're into this. Well, I do like craft dinner, like I gotta say. Yeah, of course. And I like nowadays that they have versions of macaroni that by the way, what a ridiculous start of an episode. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> We're really conquering the representations of disability right here. Oh, for sure. So anyway, there are permutations of macaroni that you can get like from the health food aisle. Like, oh, you can get like gluten free. Like a white cheddar, blah, blah, blah. And they they dress it up so it doesn't... So they're like protecting you from the fact that you're still making craft dinner. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's like, like at the end of the day, it's not good for you. No, no. And by the way, gluten-free noodles You probably are... get just as much nutrition eating the box that came in. <laughs> yeah. There's probably more fiber in the box, in Actually, the cardboard. Is this cardboard gluten-free? Actually, it reminds me... I went to, it's hard to make this a funny story. I went to a funeral recently. Oh my goodness. Yeah, but what? It's, it's been enough time, you know, I think. Mm. I was there with my friend and like, you know, we were both, just the way we cope is by making jokes, right? As, as you know. Yeah. And so it was a Catholic funeral and I, it was also post-COVID or mid-COVID or whatever, so uh, I didn't feel like it was the smartest idea to participate in Mass. So, But but they do Mass still. So he's like pouring Jesus' blood and stuff. He's got the, the cup of Christ's flesh and handing it out. And my friend was like, are you going to go up and, and take communion? And I just like kind of whispered like as seriously as I could, no, I'm off carbs. <laughs> and then she was like, oh, true. Can you ask him if it's gluten-free? Oh, my God. I literally laughed until... Gluten-free Jesus? I mean, like, what do you think is the nutritional value of one of those communion wafers? It can't be great. If Jesus is gluten-free, 
then does that make people with celiac disease like shameful in the Lord's eyes or something? Wait, no, it's the opposite, no? Opposite, yeah. So then, so then the Lord loves if people with celiac disease. If it's not gluten for yeah, those are the pure ones. Yeah, because Jesus never meant for us to eat gluten. I, imagine if like uh, Doritos like sold a version of the Lord's Sacrament in the grocery food aisle, <laughs> like zesty Jesus. <laughs> I should say, and I'm not even saying this to try to get back into heaven. I really liked those wafers. As a child? They're kind of delicious, yeah. Maybe you were just extra devout. I had a hyper tolerance for gluten. <laughs> Imagine, like, you could buy it in, in like... That, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> like, yeah, you, you could buy it... Christ crisps. Yeah, in those little, like, the snackerment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they were good for you? I think that's what you should get when you give a donation to the church. They send you like a little snack pack. Like a little uh, care package? Because they're good. The wine didn't really do it for me, but the the wafers were good. I was saying the other day, like this, this somehow came up in our Ottawa group chat. I was like, it seems really weird to me that like, you know, when Christ was on the beach with all those fishermen and he like caught the fish and fed them all or something. Mm-hmm. And then he like gave them all beverages. He turned the water into wine. Yeah, what's wrong with water? No, no, but what? Yeah. For, yeah. Well, firstly, what's wrong with water? <laughs> Why did he turn it into an alcoholic beverage? Like yeah. did, Jesus, did Jesus have a problem? At the very least, just turn the water into like the salt water into fresh water. So people could drink it. Yeah. Or like, you know, maybe uh, apply the first iteration of a Brita filter or, <laughs> you know, like, uh, what else could he have done? It would be funny if it, like, kept escalating and he, like, turned the turned the grass into marijuana. What do you think he would turn us into? <laughs> what would he turn us into? Yeah. Uh, geez, I don't know. Cheese? No, I said, oh, geez. Oh. <laughs> I thought you were like, oh, cheese. I've thought about that. <laughs> Obviously, cheese. Yeah, cheese. We, we, we cheddar wheelies. <laughs> By the way, I'm not stoned. I don't know about you. I'm not either. It's just been a day. Did you have a good day? Yeah, it was fine. It was productive. There was a lot of, you know, stuff going on. But What has to happen in a day for you to feel productive? I just have to feel like I've completed more than I had completed the day before. <laughs> <laughs> Cheese. <laughs> Cheese. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I don't, it's just a feeling. I think it is just, it's like a vague, a vague feeling of usefulness. It's like, yeah, I, it was worth putting pants on for this. <laughs> uh, in your unproductive days, you're like, I really did not need to put on pants. Why did I put pants on? Yeah. <laughs> I dressed yeah. up for this. This is a nice shirt. I could have worn it tomorrow. Yeah, so I think that like what we consider productive though says a lot about a person's values and like character potentially. What do you consider productive? Maybe not character. I don't know because I was just thinking like you don't know. It does say a lot about your character. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what I care about, but um, like I'll have days where I, for example, will have to patch a production system or something, and those yeah. days are. 
like busy and they're kind of like higher stakes than regular days because you could break something but they don't really feel very productive because there's like zero creative element do you not feel productive at the end of that no not not really i just feel because you're not like applying any knowledge in any critical way you're just sort of you're uh an automaton you're a gear right you're just executing a series of steps yeah and similarly i do not feel productive when i answer emails especially because usually like email is not a place where important information is like chronicled in a useful fashion so it, it like usually emails are meant to they're like meetings they're meant to make people feel as though something has been said or or some progress has been made and it's a very it's like a false flag sense of productivity the number of times i've started an email with following up yeah cuz it just it just feels like a unnecessary placeholder but sort of an also unnecessary evil it's a very necessary evil and i would never survive in a world without email just like i couldn't i could scarcely survive in university without like note takers or the ability to look up notes for my lectures in class because i'm generally like a a, a disorganized person and it's also yeah. just hard for me to keep records so like just in terms of literally like the fine motor element of keeping records did you digitize your notes back in the day or were you all write, written by hand yeah uh, so like I, I i i had an alpha smart i had a little fancy little keyboard oh yeah i had one too yeah it's funny because like i often wonder like what my teachers thought back in the day the day they're like oh he's a fucking disaster <laughs> like isn't alpha smart inside really baseball it is very much it is okay so basically like it's uh it's just a keyboard with a, a tiny little LCD screen on it that you could, you know, go through. You, it, you, basically, it was like um, back in the day when we had like pocket assistants. It was like a full size lap size pocket assistant. Yeah, it looked like maybe um, the equivalent of a, a graphing calculator, but yeah. but it was with a full, had a full keyboard. Keyboard, yeah, like a full desktop keyboard in size and then just picture like the screen instead of it being like a separate entity it's actually just uh it's like a few strips across the top of the keyboard so at any one time you could look at maybe like 50 words or something and you had to scroll a lot so it wasn't very practical but but in the era before laptops it was it was quite a nice accessibility solution and it was fairly easy to take the contents of your alpha smart and print it at a desktop computer the funny thing was um i would all, like i would record my notes in middle school for like a week and then i'd have a moment where i'd go into the spec ed office and plug in the device into a computer and then just like hit a button and it would verbatim spit the notes like it would type it out in real time right in front of me like into into a word processing document so it was real like sloppy it wasn't the best solution obviously was it actually before laptops well not before laptop but it was before laptops were affordable by the catholic and public school boards like for disabled people yeah right so yeah so it was like a stopgap. um and then the first time i got a laptop 
like I thought I had like made it in life. I was like, it doesn't get any fucking better than this. Oh, I literally I have I have something I can fucking play video games with in yeah. class for fuck's sake. Like holy shit. Did you? Uh, no, I was like, I'm gonna get fucking late after. And like, <laughs> it was like, <laughs> yeah, it was like a status symbol and shit. Hey, girl, you know any other guys with a laptop? In 2001, baby. <laughs> anyway, did it work for you? What What do you mean? Did the Alpha Smart work for me? Did it help your game? No, not for several years. But eventually it did. <laughs> eventually, you were like, hey, let me type those up for you. <laughs> sure. Yeah. No, I mean, it got me a job, which, you know, is, is a fairly good uh, talk or is a fairly, fairly favorable uh, bullet in your Tinder profile. Yeah, it's like an indirect wingman. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I did play games on my laptop. I would pretend I had to go to the bathroom, bring my laptop with me and then play Perfect Dark on the computer emulated. Whoa, you'd play Perfect Dark on the shitter? I, didn't, I wasn't actually even going to the bathroom. I just sat in the bathroom playing perfect. <laughs> Did, didn't they know you weren't going to the bathroom because you didn't go in with, a, like, with an SSP or whatever? No, he would be in there playing with me. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. come on. Yeah, we would just hang out because he didn't want to be doing his job, which was <laughs> like feeding people who were yelling at him. How old was he at the time? Uh, he was older than me. He was. I was like... It would have been like grade 9, 10, which makes me, what, like 15? Yeah. And then he was probably 35. See, that's that's a hilarious uh, thing for me because I think like the average age of my SSP when I was in middle school and high school was like 27 to 35. Did they feel like your friends? They did. They honestly did. Like they felt like a big brother or like... I like I don't know. There were I would say it was just as likely for me to have a a man as a woman, and like I was always close with them. Yeah, they were like a a friend, like an adult friend. It was it was like like you said, like a big brother, like someone. I remember having like I never had the talk with my parents, but I had the talk with him. I know, like I did too. Yeah, at some I remember like I remember like the Hammersholz coach. Like my high school uh, junior football coach, he was also the head of uh, uh, of Spec Ed Services, and he was like, he was an amazing guy. Like I considered him, uh, I, he was like one of my favorite people in public school. Like a mentor. Yeah, he was just like oh, a wonderful guy. I had several bad days, like at school, where I was really stressed out about exams or. You know, like just in a bad place. Like high school sometimes sucks because you're a teenager. Sure. And like, yeah. like uh, he would always like pick up on it, and he would like he would uh, give me advice or joke around. Like he was a, a fully a full fledged three dimensional individual with me. And you never. It kind of feels like you never really had that in school. Like teachers are they shield you from their their actual selves because of that professional boundary of course and i'm not saying that truen didn't have boundaries just saying that like he was like a more approachable felt like a peer rather than a superior for sure and the one thing he always used to do is that when because i'd always be like in spec ed for writing tests or in between classes like i would go hang out with friends at lunch 
and like uh, going from class to class, but I was often in the spec ed office. And I think Truman knew that I was self-conscious about that, but he also knew that I liked everyone who was there, obviously. And so he would, when there were like new teachers or new hires within the, the, the spec ed department, he would always introduce them to me and he would like, he would build me up so much. He'd be like, oh, you know, Jamie's <laughs> like the like the second smartest kid in class or in the school or something. Yeah. You know, like and he never he didn't have to do that, but he uh he was just like a good guy. I would hate it if someone did that though. Really? Yeah, because then you'd be like, Well, how am I supposed to live up to that? Well, there there is that for sure. Like we we've talked then about you, that. they're like, okay, well, can you fix my printer? <laughs> and then you're like, well, no, now, I, now I'm stupid. Or like it's a teacher or something, and then you have their class and you don't perform as well as they. Yeah, they're like, all right, we'll solve this algebraic equation then, Jamie. Yeah. Or, or like I, I, I get like my geography teacher and she asks me like which way is north or <laughs> which way is left. And I'm like. Are you facing left right now? <laughs> which way are you looking? <laughs> and my brain just melts and I fall over. You like Google it on your Alpha Smart, <laughs> but all this is to say, like, yeah, I I definitely did have that where you had yeah. the talk with your like student support people. Yeah, I never had it with my parents, but it was really nice to have someone who, like, obviously just had more life experience than me. Like you said, there there were there wasn't this professional insurmountable barrier between us. Like we could yeah. still hang out and. I could just get advice and he would check me too if I was like into someone he's like you don't want to be into that person or like or he'd be like you should be into that person she's into you or like this is what you should be doing in this case it was also easier to receive those types of advice and feedback from them because I don't know if my parents said that to me I'd be like what do you know yeah I I remember Gallo uh like my uh student support person he was uh, the same way, like the same kind of advice where he kind of felt like a friend, but it was, uh, there was a more, that like there was a, a distinct professional boundary there. Yeah. Well, it's it's cool because it's a unique thing to disability where uh, I don't know of many other situations where you'd have that kind of role model in your life. I guess if you're lucky and you participate in organized sport or you have like hobbies outside of school, you would have had adult influences. Like a coach or something? Yeah, yeah, but they don't necessarily take to everyone. There are definitely coaches who will take a player under their wing or maybe a couple, but like they, generally people don't have the bandwidth to mentor everyone on the team. For sure. So yeah, I mean, like you could get lucky, but that is sort of like, I guess what I'm trying to say is if you're, in high school right now, make sure you're disabled so that you can get an SSP. Yeah. And they can have the talk with you. Well, yeah, because Gallo, like, uh, he would uh, tease me the same same thing. If he uh, realized that I liked someone before I did, yeah, he'd be like, wow, you like, you sure talk to Holly a lot in English class, eh? Yeah. It's like, are you even doing anything? Like, you haven't printed anything off your Alpha Smart in three weeks. Like, what's going on here? <laughs> Have you showed your laptop? <laughs> uh, the one thing Gallo used to do is like, 
and I used really appreciate it was um, if I was if I was like dressed uh, weirdly or just like because I like I said I had a pretty poor sense of style as a kid and I didn't I didn't know how to dress properly as a wheelie because it always like I could never find jeans that fit right or like shirts that were the right length I always felt really yeah they don't have mannequins that look like us no and so you it's always either too boxy or like overemphasizes your atrophy or something and so not that nowadays i should be self-conscious of anything like that but as a kid i was for sure and like gala would like give me tips or he would tease me but it wasn't the kind of teasing where you are like wounded or self-conscious it was more like it was more like i got you like like i I know this is awkward for you and i kind of understand because you're a fucking teenager yeah you know what i mean well, it's also constructive criticism. Like, I've said this a hundred times on here, but I love it when people criticize me. Me too. Because often they don't, especially in a role like that where they're probably not, quote, supposed to because yeah. they're supposed to be, you know, like your professional whatever caretaker almost. Yeah. And so they're not supposed to be criticizing you. They're just supposed to be supporting you. But... What a great way to support someone is to be honest with them and try to help them move to the next, you know, like progress and grow and be better. There's another thing, too, where like one person's honesty doesn't necessarily have to uh, reflect the actual truth. It's just how they truly feel. Yeah. Sometimes when people are being honest with you, it is a kind of vulnerability. I try to ascribe to don't take advice from someone you wouldn't take criticism from and vice Mm, versa. That's a good point. Yeah. Like this whole, this whole Oscar blunder bundle was kind of interesting to me because it made me think about the limits of a, of acceptability of a joke and when a roast um, is appropriate and when it isn't. It's wild that you're still thinking about this. I know. I know. It's just, just because it's something I've literally never seen before. I never expected uh, that particular celebrity to behave that way just yeah. because of their their public image. It's like every time there's a revelation about or a contrast between a person's public persona and and how who they are in real life, no matter how much I know that those two things will always be different. Well, I also don't know if it's fair to just be like Will Smith slapped Chris Rock, therefore he's a, he's a person who slaps people like it could have been a complete lapse of judgment where something inside him took the better of him. It might not be that this is who he really is. No, no, I don't think, I don't think, I don't think it's who he really is, but it's like, he is, he's definitely a a fallible uh, person who's, who's going through some stuff and he's clearly having a hard time. Uh, And so I'm just saying like, it had me thinking about the limits of acceptability of a joke at my expense. And because like when I was in my early twenties, like my most beloved friends were people who could incinerate me in a social setting where we're drinking and they just make a very like poignant, honest observation about my struggle. Yeah. And you're almost just like, how did you even see this? Well, it goes back to what we were saying, right? Where, yeah. You want people to be honest with you, and that's a great example. But the but the, the point of what I'm trying to say is that like is that a joke that is a roast, uh, when it's done well, 
is in, it's an incredibly insightful joke. It's the 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 comedian or the friend or whatever has made an observation completely outside of themselves, and it's an observation they could only make if they cared about you deeply. And so I think that's the difference with this whole with the with the slap or whatever. It's that the joke was bad, and that you know Chris Rock. I don't think came from a place of affection or or whatever. I don't even know if it's that. For me, it's just like jokes are so subjective when you're in a moment. Like you can say something to me right now that I would die laughing at. And then you could say the same joke to me 10 minutes ago or 15 minutes from now. And it would just roll off me. And it's like, it's how it hits you in the moment. It's like how you perceive the intention behind it the relationship do you have with the person giving you the joke? Uh, so I don't think it's, it, it's just like such a nuanced thing that you can't, I don't even think you can boil it down to some algorithm of what makes something funny every time. That's Cause true. you can like every comedian that I've heard uh, talk about the joke writing experience is that you can do the same set crush in one place and just bomb in another place. Right. And so it's not necessarily the joke. It's there's so many factors at play. Yeah. There's a lot of context. Yeah. And context matters. I think so much. I mean, I, I never think it's excusable to hit someone, but I don't think we're ever going to be able to come to an objective conclusion about this beyond that was insane. Yeah, it was just uh, incredibly unexpected. It, it's just such a mind-boggling moment. Yeah. That is why I think everyone's like trying to figure it out, but sometimes the world is just chaotic and there isn't like a rationale behind it. <laughs> it's, it's like this like extreme aversion to the invalidation of expected etiquette. What do you mean? I th- like... Like a formal event like the Oscars, uh, there's an expectation of a particular etiquette. And when you invalidate that dramatically, people are astounded. Yeah, when you go from cable TV to world star hip hop, it's very jarring. If they were at a pub, like nobody would bat an eye. They'd be like, you know what? Yeah, but still you would bat an eye. You'd probably get kicked out of the pub. That was the craziest thing was that he was still there after. I don't know. It's, it's I don't know Will Smith. I don't know Chris Rock. I don't know what they have going on between them. So it's like impossible for me to have a comment, you know? Like I there's so many I definitely from where I was sitting thought that joke didn't deserve that reaction. Um it wasn't necessarily a good joke. It didn't make me die laughing, but it also I don't know, when you're the Smith and you've been putting your whole life on display, I'm pretty sure Jada in one of her interviews said, all you can do is make fun of it at this point. I mean, like, I don't know. It's so, it's just impossible for me to sit here and decide, but it almost felt like Will Smith forgot he was in real life and not in a movie. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I I, I don't want to express a strong opinion either, but I can't stop thinking about it. How did I fucking get here to begin with? Um, I don't know. We were talking about SSPs. Yeah. Oh, man. 
what 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 original point was I trying to make by bringing it up? I don't remember. Um, I'm sure it was a great point. Give me a second. And you're gonna try to track your way back to the inciting moment. Sorry, I lost it. That's fine. I mean, maybe it was just something you wanted to get out there. Because I feel like you wanted to bring it up last week, and I kind of moved past it. Yeah, which maybe is a good thing. I don't know. Everyone's waiting at this point. They have, yeah. You're right, it wasn't the best joke. And I appreciate that alopecia is really hard for people dealing with it. And I would say probably more so for women, but... It's more of an opportunity. It would have been better if Will used his platform and his speech to bring up some empathy towards the struggle rather than just... Also, I don't think he was thinking fully rationally in the moment because I'm sure if he could do that moment over again, he wouldn't smack him every time. The best way, I think, in my mind to um, to undermine a comedian is to make them know that they are not funny. Yeah, that hurts the most. If I yeah. said a joke to you and you just went, that's not funny, I'd feel terrible. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, if you want to get the message to a comedian at the Oscars, like, yeah. don't don't laugh. Earlier, I was talking about when I appreciate a joke at my expense. And the point that I was just trying to make is that there has to be a foundation of affection between both parties before it works. Right. Much like you and I, like you, like we're good friends. Yeah, it's like the intention behind it, right? Yeah, I'll go somewhere with you, knowing that it could be a touchy subject, and I'll let you go there with me because I know, even if I feel hurt afterwards, first of all, our friendship is solid enough that it's not going to change that. But also, yeah. I know that you're not coming at me to try to make me feel worse. Yeah. So that that foundation. In, in in the sense of the Oscar slap was not there, which is why I think all this de- debate and debacle occurred, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's literally impossible to infer someone's intention, but... Yeah. Anyway, um, so, so, um, what the hell, what, what else is going on in your world? Well, we were talking about how, I think that's just how we got here. We were talking about how your SSP would be able to roast you. Oh yeah, yeah, but it was a, it was a, like always um, in a careful manner, which is good. It's not you're not trying to bring someone down. You're literally just trying to make light of a situation because it it is an easier way to address something. Like if if you were wearing a shirt that I just didn't think worked for you, I wouldn't yeah. be like, "Hey, Jamie, I don't think that shirt's working for you." Yeah. Like, hey, Jamie, why did you dress up like a candy corn today? It's not yeah. Halloween, is it? <laughs> did you, I didn't realize your mom was still picking out your wardrobe. <laughs> yeah, no. Geez, you're really taking your fashion advice from Jerry nowadays? What's <laughs> going on here? I was going to say, thank God I never got the fucking talk from my dad. Really? I kind of wish I did. Not because I want it, but because I'm curious what they would have said. Well, okay, so yeah, you're morbidly curious for the sake of comedy because you know and love your dad and just want to... I want to know what he would say. Maybe he'd have some good advice. As an adult, though... No, but I admire my parents' relationship, even though they come from a different generation. Like, so much of their circumstances obviously way different than mine. 
the fact that they've been together for over 65 years is yeah. mind-boggling. And they still, whenever they come here, or get up in the morning, and it takes me a while to wake up, as we've discussed, and I'll come out finally out of my room. The whole time, they will have been sitting on the couch, side by side, talking to each other. And it's so admirable to think that they found someone who they can literally never get bored of talking to. They're still their best friend to each other. That I want to learn from that. So like, I'll take any advice they can give me, even if it's the talk. Well, I guess. I mean, like, I probably wouldn't use it. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, you're only saying this right now as an adult. Oh, true. You, like, you know your dad a little bit better. And, and I, I've already had to talk with my SSP. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, your parents are now somewhat more contemporaries to you. Like, Yeah, that's true. They see you as an adult. And, you know, because you don't live with them, too, there's a, there are sufficient boundaries there. So you, you're effectively two grown adults now, you and your father. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I would think of it more like that's an interesting perspective. I wonder if I would learn from that rather than a lesson. Or you would filter like your dad's interpretation of the talk through his. The lens of him that I have. Yeah. Yeah. Because like he has, you know. Your parents are spiritual people and... Yeah. Yeah, they would probably be like, well, you know, when we grew up, it was pretty common for you to marry a person and that was the one person. Yeah. And that's not the world I live in now. They'd explain it with like a cutesy Pixar allegory and shit. Yeah. But but like my dad is kind of like uh, like artless and clinical in his speech. Well, Joe, uh, when a man and a woman, you know, Joe, just go on the internet, you'll find it. No, he wouldn't do that. What do you think he would do? He'd get right into it? Yeah, well, he would He would get, like, anatomical, probably. Really? Would he, like, go grab a banana from the kitchen? No, he would just be, like, I don't know, the same way that he discusses, like, politics or airplanes or, like, trains or something. He would just be, he would... Can we do I need to hear it. No. I need to hear you having the talk with your dad right now. No, because... This will be the one anecdote about my podcast that ever gets back to him and I'll never live it down or up or whatever the phrase is. It's not happening. I just, he, <laughs> I just can't, I can't, I can't, I can't do it. It's like, even to this day, it's too embarrassing for me as a 34 year old to even like imagine the hypothetical discussion. Why? Because. Even as a 34 year old, like you wouldn't be able to just be like, all right, dad, I think I figured it out. Thank you though. <laughs> I couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. What would you do? Would you just be like, Dad, you need to stop talking? Yeah. I that's that's what would happen. You're not even a little curious what he might say. <laughs> He'll be like, Well, as you know, Joe, you have private parts. And uh we've never told you this before, but there's a few occasions when uh those parts are not so private. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever thought about when you have kids how you're gonna have to talk with them? Uh well, I hope that I'm approachable and affable and uh, whatever. I think you're going to do an impression of your dad to your kids. <laughs> <laughs> uh, dad, why do women have different things in between their legs? Well, son. Uh... It's plumbing for reproductive purposes. <laughs> Fetch me a banana. <laughs> no, but it, it would never be that creative or like personable. It would just be like, 
X goes into Y and out comes Mr. Joe. X goes into Y. <laughs> I read about it in the library. Really? That's how I found out. Yeah, my friend and I would like go to the library. By library, do you mean corner store? And by library book, do you mean <laughs> <laughs> porn bank? I wouldn't make this up because it's not a flattering story. Uh, we went to the library and we just found biology books. And we would just flip through and be like, oh, that's what it is. Tony, that's the dorkiest thing I ever heard. I know. You found out about sex by doing homework? What a loser. Yeah. Was it like for English 3002 or something? It was just for fun. That's what no, it wasn't. We were just like, hey, because we wanted to know. And I wasn't allowed in gym class, which means I also didn't get sex ed. <laughs> wasn't allowed? It's so funny to me. If they caught your wheelchair in the gymnasium, like... Yeah, it was a danger to the other children. <laughs> like, the uh, the principal's secretary went on the intercom and asked for school security to come escort you out of the gym? Well, I told you how I flipped my chair playing soccer, right? No, you didn't. Oh, I didn't? How do you flip your chair playing soccer in a, in a gym? I was like... It was like grade three. There's no slopes in the gym. Yeah, yeah. We were playing soccer in the gym. It was last period. I was excited. There was a girl that I had a huge thing for. Okay. And I was trying to impress her. Like a huge thing in your pants? I mean, like, it was not as big as the one in the library books. (laughs) Uh... So we were playing soccer and... I was like, oh, I think I can do this. So I would hit the ball with my wheel. Your caster. And I I got pretty good at it, yeah. Which wheel? The front left wheel. (laughs) The roundest one. Damn. I don't know if I told you this. I don't want to brag, but I got pretty round wheels. Yeah, were they all greased up or what? I don't think that's advised. (laughs) How recently did they change the casters? (laughs) You got some squeaky bearings or what? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so we were playing soccer and someone passed the ball to me. I actually got pretty good at it. Like they would pass me the ball, I'd hit it with my wheel, pass it back. And I was like a functional part of the team. And then. Imagine. I know. Well, it was surprising to everyone involved. That was your that was your ableism speaking, though, because I know what you mean. Because I say the same thing. I actually was a good member of floor hockey in grade eight. It's literally you're supposed to play with your feet, <laughs> and I was playing with a wheelchair. Oh, how dare you! Well, how dare I does happen because someone eventually passes me the ball. I'm going for it. I'm getting confident at this point. And people are, like, excited for me because I'm pretty good. And so I'm like, hey, I'm going to impress this girl. And so they pass me the ball, and I miss it, and it goes under my chair, and I'm already at full speed. And all I really remember is waking up, and somebody is... Wait, you you got concussed? I got concussed. What they had the to fuck? lift me out of my chair with, like, a Hoyer lift. I had to go to the hospital. No, where'd they get the Hoyer lift from? Was it the Jaws of Life? It was the Hoyer lift they used to help me in the, in the bathroom. Oh, oh, your SSP rushed off to the perfect dark bathroom? Yeah, I had the perfect dark bathroom. And they had, <laughs> he had to like put the laptop away and hide the evidence. And then 
brought the hoyer lift over and they had to flip my chair back over because it was on its side. Wait, what, what is this story? You, you, you got concussed while playing soccer? I got concussed in like third grade. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck? And the worst part is, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was like the next year. Because up until that year. Wait, hold on. Can we can we back up just a second? Sure, yeah. yeah. I, like this whole story is leading to why they wouldn't let you in the gym because they were afraid you were going to concuss yourself again. Yeah. Like, did you lose gym privileges because of this? Yeah, I lost gym because I was a it was a safety risk. <laughs> what to the myself fuck? and others. No, it wasn't. I concussed myself. <laughs> I mean, it kind of was. But uh, how? Like, how did you flip the chair? How? So, like, I was going full speed. The soccer ball rolled under me, and it lifted the chair off the wheels and tipped it over. <laughs> and I just smacked my head on the floor. Well, what, what kind of asshole soccer ball was that? <laughs> it was rounder than my wheels, in fact. <laughs> what? How, like, what was the PPI of the fucking... <laughs> you think it was, like, inflate gate? Yeah, because the ball, like, your chair's like 300 pounds. Yeah. The ball should pop. But I was so into the game. Also, soccer balls are pretty sturdy. Yeah, but why was there a solution to ban you from the gym? Like, well, it was a danger. What do you mean? I kind of agree with this. Why, 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 why was the gymnasium floor any more dangerous than the actual ground, like any ground ever? I don't think they could have gotten away with banning me from ground. But <laughs> they probably would if they fucking could. They might have, yeah. They put you in a Hoyer permanently. They'd be like, from here on out, you should just walk, okay? Yeah, like, fuck, that doesn't make any sense. That's some horse shit right there. I remember having to pee into a cup at the hospital. Not really sure how that tells them anything. Like, does your pee change when you're concussed? <laughs> yeah, your pee turns blue when you get concussed. <laughs> oh, still yellow. He's good. <laughs> and then I went home, and my, my parents sort of, like, felt bad for me. And you never went into a gym again. This <laughs> is the stupidest thing ever. So I ate grilled cheese when I got home, and I remember uh, a phone call came through. From who? The gym police. <laughs> We're just confirming Anthony's banned from all gyms. <laughs> no, so I just remember my dad going, "Hello, um, yeah, no, we're home now. Yeah, uh, no, he's okay. He's just eating coffee or grilled cheese right now. Uh, I think he's okay. Yeah, I hope you're okay. All right. Well, thank you for calling. Okay, talk to you later. Bye. And I just remember being like, "What was that?" Because obviously they were talking about me. I was the only one eating grilled cheese. And um, my dad was like, oh, that was just your teacher calling to see if you're okay. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, just checking up that you're okay after you fell. And I was like, I fell? And I had no memory. Oh, my God. That's so weird. Yeah, it was nuts. Oh, that's trippy. Yeah. I don't like that. I'm enjoying that your mother like made you consolation guilt grilled cheese instead of porridge because it feels like you would have had porridge. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> that is true. She gave me poor jelly being like, I'm sorry I ran over the soccer ball. <laughs> You'd have remembered instantly. The worst part, though, the part that hits me the hardest yeah. is I'm pretty sure that that was because up until that point, that girl that I had had a crush on also liked me as much as you can like someone in grade two. And we had been like best friends for the first three years. Maybe even uh, longer. But then when this happened, she wasn't in my class the next year. And like, it was a known fact that we were like best friends. So every year they'd be like, go and make sure that Anthony and Jordan are in the same class. Then the next year, she was not in the class. And I felt like the whole world had spited me. For the fucking soccer incident? I'm not sure if the timeline lines up for real. But that's how I remember it now. And I just remember thinking that they were, like, trying to make sure it didn't work out between us. Oh, because they understood that the reason that you concussed yourself is because you were too horny on the soccer field? Yeah. Fuck off. That's just kid logic. <laughs> imagine, imagine your teacher went to the principal, like, yeah, we got to separate those two, Anthony. Turns out. <laughs> <laughs> but in my head, the world was out to get me, and I was doomed to fail. So, like... I'm wrapped up in the details of your elementary school life right now. All right, so it was the the walls were white in the gym. Uh, no, when when you were emulating Perfect Dark on your laptop in the bathroom. Wait, what? Did, like, <laughs> how did you signal to your SSP that you had to go, but it wasn't a real like you didn't really have to go? Where you're like, where you like SSP? I have to take a perfect deuce. <laughs> you're like, I just want to go back to that story twenty minutes ago because I thought of a two word pun. Yeah. <laughs> don't call me out of my joke uh, <laughs> strategy here but how honestly how did you signal I, I, I actually I don't know if I ever took a deuce at school I was always very poop shy I, the first time I did at school it was like a brave new world I was like I'm free did you just keep doing it after that oh man it was like my favorite ritual really oh yeah I don't know if I've ever I mean like I've obviously pooped in popcorn bowls but I don't know if I've ever pooped in a gym or a school bathroom. Yeah, the 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 bathroom at my work, like the work center where I currently work, uh, pre-COVID, uh, the bathroom was so glorious. I was like, I'm going to be here for the next seven to eight years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you judge your workplace based on the bathroom. Purely, purely. Yeah. yeah. How's your work from home bathroom situation? Uh, lackluster. I keep yeah. flooding the fucking shower <laughs> should we pivot to this movie i mean i know you've been avoiding the movie and i'm trying to decide if there's a way that i can talk about it in 20 minutes or less i don't know i've talked about the movie more since we watched it yesterday uh-huh and i have like a little bit more patience for it but it's still it's still not a movie i'm ever going to revisit i'm going to and I'm never going to, like, recommend it to someone, except to be, like, unless someone's like, hey, what's the weirdest movie you've watched in a while? <laughs> you think the film was weird? Okay, firstly, we watched a, a 2014 kind of indie darling film called Frank, starring Michael Fassbender as a Irish musician, singer, songwriter, band member, uh, who's... Uh, one quirk. His one quirk. <laughs> I guess he has several quirks, but his defining quirk is that he wears a uh, 
a huge, a, what, how the hell do you even describe it? He answers the question, what if Stewie Griffin was live action? <laughs> yeah, or what if you were at an amusement park in which Stewie Griffin was a mannequin? Yeah, he wears um, like a huge paper mache head with a yeah. cartoon face on it. Mm-hmm. There's like ventilation ports and hearing ports and maybe even a battery pack on it. Mm-hmm. It's quite a contraption. But before we get into it, I wanted to ask you how you found this movie. Because the last few movies I picked, so I was like, all right, Jamie, you get free reign this time. What movie do you want to watch? And I thought you'd pick like Ray, which I was excited about. But you were like, hey, how about this movie, Frank? So then you sent me the trailer and I look it up and I'm like, all right, it's undeniable that we can talk about this movie. But what did you search for to find it? I don't know. I remember back in the day when it came out in 2014, it was on my radar because I really like Michael Fassbender. He has. Fair, yeah. Yeah, he has a tendency when he's not in X Men movies to make some really interesting decisions. He is a very, like, all in kind of character actor. Yeah, um, but I also don't know a lot. I know he's like really intense. There might even be some problematic allegations uh, about his personal life, but I don't. I don't know. That's insubstantiated. We haven't really talked about that much on this podcast, but when we review these movies, I'm always sort of just judging the art that they're creating. I don't really dive that much into the person behind it which is probably a bad thing. I probably should be doing that more. I don't know if it's good or bad. Um, it's not always a straightforward thing to do. If there, are allega- if there are unproven allegations surrounding a performer, it's probably better just to evaluate the work. Yeah, you're right. If they're proven, then that's a different story. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you already knew about this movie. Yeah, it like it just sort of... I saw the trailer for it years ago, and I'm like, that's probably something that I will like. Because it it feels very much in the realm of something like Little Miss Sunshine or Half Nelson or Juno. Really? Those are so much better in my opinion. They are. They are certainly better. This movie didn't really make too much of a impact on me or it didn't really sit with me too, 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 too much. Oh, okay. Not in the same way that the other movies that I mentioned uh, have. Yeah, I thought you left this movie because there were a few times during the movie where I was like, Jamie, this movie sucks. Yeah, I know. And you were like, oh, sorry, I'm actually getting something out of it. I Well, okay, I did, there were elements of it that I did enjoy, but it was because I went into it sort of hoping that I could use it to make a point. And then it kind of did make the point that I wanted to make. Right. So I felt I felt validated, and then I liked the movie because it was in accordance with my train of thought. Because I'm a selfish, oh, I see. I'm a selfish shithead. Well, you're right. That definitely is relevant for the podcast. Mm-hmm. So we should emphasize, like uh, Frank's choice of headdress is like <laughs> it's it's not a superficial costume. Like he wears it 100 percent of the time. Yeah, and so. You you kind of wonder if this movie takes place in some kind of dream logic, yeah, or like a weird uh, Edward Scissorhandsian situation where there's a certain unreality to it, and you just sort of have to accept that Frank is part of this universe. But they don't make that clear. Like no. at least in Edward Scissorhands, 
you know that people generally don't have scissor hands. So you're just okay to buy in. But yeah. with this, they sell it as, no, this is a real movie about a real guy who just happens to make this choice. Yeah, apparently it's also based upon somebody who wore uh, one of these paper mache masks on their head. Yeah, like a comedian or something, right? Yeah, I didn't bother to look too much into it because I don't really care. I only care about... The interesting thing about it is that I've been kind of looking for more movies lately that are tangential to disability because I think we're kind of running out of all of the... Oh, please, we are not running out. Okay, well, if that's true, I'm I'm good with that. But I've, I'm also curious about movies that are adjacent to uh, Crippledom because... They're fun. When, when you do like a, an allegory of disability, it is fun. Yeah, because it, it gives us some creative license to allege that a movie is about disability. Yeah. And we can be totally wrong, but if we make a good case or we have a fun conversation around it, yeah. then it's probably even more interesting than a movie that is verbatim like about somebody with CP or SMA or something. But um, the other thing is too, is that I think when a movie doesn't know that it's about disability, it can say things in in an unvarnished way that a disability movie would never approach, like would never take the same approach. Yeah. So I like that because I think that it's, it removes a layer of pretense or it kind of disarms the movie. And you, you might get to a layer of truth that uh, a piece of artwork might be otherwise afraid to reveal. And usually that truth is more like the ableism of an able-bodied world. And so be it, whatever, that's fine. Uh, but you can also, I, you can also come across some really warm and insightful ideas that just wouldn't happen in a less imaginative narrative about disability. Had it not been for this podcast and watching it through that lens, I don't think I would have watched this movie trying to relate it back to disability. I will accept the fact that we can make those claims today, and we will. Mm -hmm. But I don't, I think some of the references that we're making are pretty inside baseball and if i can make a grand sweep about the movie i'd say it's way more it even admits to be way more about mental illness than disability as we talk about for sure and i do not mean to equate all mental illness to with disability right i i don't well i shouldn't say i don't mean to equate it but that you know there are nuances well just like physical disabilities mental illnesses are a spectrum and we always just talk about these movies from our perspectives. Yeah. So we'll never be able to do anything beyond that. Yeah. Like I'm not going to sit here and try to speak from a perspective that I don't occupy. Yeah, of course. That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Why would I do that? So I'm going to be a selfish jerk. And if you want to come with me, then then let's go somewhere. I'm here with you. Let's go. Okay. So first of all, I love how... Our our main character uh, is not Frank. Actually, it's a it's sure. a it's a an office worker, a young kid who happens across uh, Frank's band um, as they lose their keyboardist at a local pub. Their keyboardist like breaks down, and so this young office worker who uh, also plays uh, keyboard in his spare time fancies himself 
a, a budding musician. So he's like, I'll totally join you. I can play these chords and I yeah. will be, I will be your peon. And so our, uh, not to be confused with, I will be peon. There weren't any leg bags in this film. So, so yeah, you're right. It's not a disability movie. You want to be a bit, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> Imagine if we just like started classifying, we just devoted the rest of the podcast to like declaring movies, not about disability. <laughs> Um, okay, so so our the main character of this film is not Frank. It's just a young kid, and uh, he is fascinated by Frank, and he desperately wants to win Frank's approval. But uh, throughout the early moments of the film, he's constantly just trying to figure out why the fuck Frank wears a mask. Me too. And the way that he kind of phrases his questions uh, is quite insensitive, actually. Can I ask you something? Sure. Why do you wear that? You think it's weird? Kinda. Well, normal faces are weird too. Well, the way they're smooth, 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 and then, you know, all bumpy and holes. I mean, what are eyes like? It's like a science fiction movie. Don't get me started on lips. Like the edges of a very serious wound. That's true. <laughs> but your head is still sort of intimidating. Well, underneath that, I'm giving you a welcoming smile. Would it help if I said my facial expressions out loud? Well, maybe. Welcoming smile. I mean, it's sort of evident from the way that Frank talks that he's um, an interesting person, a thoughtful person. Uh, he's got... Uh, social anxiety that that mask is a barrier between him and the rest of the world that he needs in order to be a functional person and a creative artist and so like that fact is sort of like self-evident from the moment that you see him and the few instances where you watch frank uh, create music in the early uh, moments of the movie also just that question from our lead character basically like why are you the way you are i mean it's a question that we constantly have to answer as disabled people but it feels a little bit more like we should be able to ask frank this question because his choice of attire like is is weird i don't know i've never really ascribed to that model of don't ask me about my disability because we all know you're wondering so is it more authentic to ask? Like, in this case, I wanted to know why Frank was wearing the paper mache hat. Mm -hmm. Do you think, did he give an interesting answer? Where did, did, Was that satiating? He was like, some faces are weird. Look at this one. Well, he's merely saying that all faces are weird. If, if, if this mask is authentic to me, and the whole, the whole point of an appealing face is a kind of warmth and authenticity, then why is my face invalid? Yeah, I don't know. Like, <laughs> that's some harsh shit, eh? Yeah, that doesn't really land for me. <laughs> if if you started wearing a a new face tomorrow, yeah, and I was like, dude, why are you wearing that face now? And you're like, faces are weird, man. I'd be like, okay, then what's wrong with your face? Everyone's face is weird, then. I've been having friends ask me lately why I'm not leaving the house uh, post COVID. Okay, and. A lot of it is me trying to, I don't want to get COVID. And uh, some of it is that I'm like, I'm apprehensive about being around people. I have some social anxiety. Yeah. And 
that's a hard conversation to have. You know, you can ask me about CP all day long, but if you want to ask me why I'm slightly afraid to leave the house, I don't know. I just don't think, like, I don't know. If, if I ask you a question and you're uncomfortable with it, I think you should be able to say to me, I think I should be able to ask you that, and you should be able to say I don't feel comfortable answering. Yeah. But I don't think it's, it, it doesn't feel fair for me to be like, is this going to be an uncomfortable question for the person? So should I ask it? Because, I don't know, I think you just lose out on a lot of interesting conversations by not asking. But I think at the same time, if you were to say to me, I just don't feel comfortable with it, I have to accept that as your answer. But the interesting thing for me about Frank is that his mask affords him uh, a certain sort of like degree of uh, mystery. Yeah. He is inherently enigmatic. He's given the benefit of the doubt as to whether or not he's a competent musician. The best decision in this film is that all of the music that occurs throughout it, and there's at least three or four songs that are played in full um, by the band, like in the moment, they're all sung by the actual actors and the music is actually made in the frame. Yeah. Like they don't make it in post or whatever. Like, yeah, there is an authenticity to that. Yeah. They demonstrate real skill. It's, it's kind of like, and we'll talk about this later, but it's kind of like in Ray, how Jamie Foxx actually fucking sings in that movie. Yeah. And it, and it goes a long way to making that uh, like one of the best biopics, you right. know, like if you want to convince us that a, that a character is talent talented, show us the talent. Like I I don't like I hate the movie The Theory of uh sorry not the Theory of Everything but that one computer movie about Alan Turing with Benedict uh, Cucumber. The Imitation Game. Yeah, I hate that movie because it's like the movie never actually convinces you that he's good at writing code because it's a hard skill to show in cinema. I didn't dislike that movie, but we don't have to get into that one. No, let's not get into it. You also just don't like Benedict Cumberbunch. I fucking hate that cucumber face. That's cool. I hope he listens to this. Yeah, he just he sucks. Doctor Strange, my ass. Doctor Dickhead. Shout out to Benny. Can't stand him. Discount Hugh Laurie. Wow. <laughs> what did he ever do to you? He was a bad Sherlock. Oh. That's what he. That's what he was. Just a bad Sherlock. That does not feel like the crime fits the punishment. <laughs> Yeah, you don't mess with my Sherlock's. You know what this reminded me of is people I've known growing up on the spectrum who need to shield themselves from the overstimulation of the world. For sure. But it didn't didn't really dive into any of those questions. It was just like, Frank does this thing. Nobody really understands it, but we just go with it because he's talented. It was never really explored. Until maybe the last like ten minutes of the movie, it doesn't really come to a head until until the last uh, fifteen. <laughs> come or to a head. Ah, uh, unintended pun. <laughs> um, but uh, the whole movie comes to a head. <laughs> I would agree with you that it there's the the movie could could have been a little bit deeper. It could have been a little bit better characterization of Frank. Yeah, but it all plays into his mystery, and I think. Um, there is a clip, actually, the first clip that you tried to play. I would like to go back to that because it, it dives into a little bit more of Frank's uh, way of life. What do you think of Frank? Like me. Um, 
fucking amazing, isn't he? He lives all the way out there, man. In the furthest corners. Fuck, I want to be Frank. Don't. Yeah? The head. He never takes it off. Never? No, never. He sleeps in it? Yep. What about eating? He sucks liquid food through a straw that he funnels up under the neckline. Occasionally solids, but it's not encouraged. What kind of liquid food? Grownut. It's like a supplement. He must have a very bushy beard. Not necessarily. How does he clean his teeth? Look, John, you're just gonna have to go with this. Okay. Sorry, it's just... It's pretty crazy. No, I know, I know, I understand, I understand. Let me tell you something. Frank, with all his issues, is without a doubt the most 100% sanest cat I've ever met. Okay. Me, on the other hand. Can't you just imagine your friends talking about you in the same manner to a new friend that joins the circle? Yeah, no, this is definitely a disability moment for me. People will be like, all right, so... Or, or I've actually had exes tell me that they've had this conversation with their families. Yeah. To be like, all right, so I'm dating someone. He's in a real... Like, it's like a whole disclaimer you have to give them. Yeah. But wouldn't you be wondering the same stuff? How does he... How does he brush his teeth? And we were just... It's like they couldn't figure that part out. So they yeah. were just like, you just have to go with it. Like, they... It, it was almost like they were talking to me. Because I was like, true, how does he brush his teeth? And then they're like, just go with it. Figure it It's fine. So, exactly. So our main character is the audience surrogate. Yeah. The thing is, I'm a little hypocritical because I don't necessarily want someone to treat me like some kind of zoo animal and be like, For sure. how do you brush your teeth? And, like, again, if you asked me that, it wouldn't bother me because we've already established that relationship. But if I met a stranger yeah. or someone I barely knew with, like, how do you poop? How do you brush your teeth? Who puts your clothes on? How do you shower? I'd be like, what am I? Am I a person? Imagine if your boss did that to you. Yeah. At some point, you're like a a consummate professional. We want to offer you the job, <laughs> but we also just wanted to know what happens when you get a runny nose. Yeah. You know, is uh, Jeff from accounting supposed to wipe it for you? Yeah. Do we need to up our Kleenex budget for you? <laughs> Is there a special Kleenex for you? <laughs> I've definitely had conversations with job prospects where they're like, we like you, but could we even hire you? <laughs> no like, way. Would you be able to use the tools that we're using? Oh my God. Yeah. But you're like, what do you mean? I fucking applied for the job. Obviously you can hire me. Exactly. I wouldn't apply for a job that I couldn't perform. <laughs> no, there was what? one time I applied for... <laughs> I'm trying to think of like the most ridiculous thing for me to apply to. Like a gymnastics teacher. Cirque du Soleil. Yeah, Cirque du Soleil. <laughs> I have tightrope walker on my resume, but I can't because I have Cirque du No legs. Oh. Oh. Not good. Oh, now I know what my humor sounds like. Yeah, right? We'll keep that in the edit too. <laughs> um. Uh, I'm, I'm umming a lot today. Um, that's okay. So, yeah, this is definitely a disability moment, but I don't know. I'm hypocritically 
curious what the answers to some of those questions are. How does he brush his teeth? And why doesn't he have a big beard? And also, if it was a social anxiety thing, wouldn't he just be able to take it off in the comfort of his own space? You don't know people's limits. I guess, yeah, I don't know. That's true. Do, do you think you have to brush your teeth as much if you don't chew food? Yeah. Like if you're only drinking food. Yeah, I do think that you need to brush your teeth. Even with a straw? Yeah, because your mouth is like warm and moisturous. Please never say the word moisturous. <laughs> not even as it applies to cake? Not, it's not even a real word. Really? You just made up a disgusting word. What about the 90s band, Moist? They have great music. Yeah, moist is a word, but not moisturous. <laughs> I like the word moisturous. Look at this clip. Yeah, I've known Frank was special since the moment I first saw him. This nurse was trying to wrestle his head off. I mean, the guy must have weighed 300 pounds. Frank was freaking out so hard, he just backed off. A mental hospital? Have you ever seen him without the head? God, no. Maybe he's facially disfigured. Forced to wear a mask, like the elephant man. Hmm. All I know is that he told me once he was from Kansas. Bluff, Kansas. Bluff, Kansas. Sounds dark. There's all this mystery and speculation around who Frank is and what his deal is. But what I love about this movie is that, like, it doesn't diminish him or make him a pitiable character. Because he's actually, like, for at least for the first three quarters of the film, he's a source of a lot of humor. And he's he's generous uh, in conversation and uh, his bandmates show real affection toward him. It, like it's they're, they're not in a cult like Frank is just another guy who happens to have a disability. So do you feel emboldened to ask these questions about him because of the novelty? No, it's because it's a movie because <laughs> Like, he's on display. Like, if I'm at the zoo, I'm going to be like, where's the manatee's penis? But, like, if I'm with my friends, I'm going to be like, let me see your penis. That's the coming attraction of the zoo? Like, you go to the zoo for for animal cock? (laughs) I mean, like, I'd like to think it's a little bit more educational than that. (laughs) Sorry, are you just extolling the wonders of genitalia right now? I spend a lot of time in the library, Jamie. It's time to get laid, Tony. <laughs> I'm starting to look at manatees different, let me tell you. <laughs> Can we please go back to Frank? <laughs> what is this? When I'm watching the movie, it's like unexpected, at, at least for me, unexpected implication that we're kind of trying to figure Frank out. Or we're going to get answers to those questions. Yeah. Like, wouldn't it be a bizarre movie if it was just like, this is Frank and it never gets talked about? Uh, I actually think it would be quite special if that was what the movie was. It would be, yeah, maybe. Because when you first start watching the movie, you you look at uh, Dom Hall Gleason, that's the actor that plays the main character, and you have the same questions that he does. And he he asks all those questions with with childlike curiosity and innocence, and he seems to come from a, a good place. 
So you kind of root for him and you think that the arc of the movie is the process of Dom Hall proving himself. I think that's how you fucking say his name. If I'm saying it wrong, then please correct me. Shout out to Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah. But anyway, so you're kind of, you think, oh, the movie's going to be about how our lead character uh, develops a friendship with Frank and Frank realizes how he can use this new keyboardist to his full potential. So it, like you think it's like an underdog story and Frank is the person that our uh, protagonist has to prove himself to. Right. And so in my head, when we first started watching, I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. Like our lead character has to aspire to win the um, the friendship and the camaraderie and the creative uh, relationship of a disabled person like that rarely happens. I'll be honest, I was never really sold on the music. So when everyone was like extolling Frank's musical virtues, I didn't really see it. I liked uh, all of the songs in the movie. To me, he was just like saying random words and people were like, oh, wow. I I know. So, I mean, I guess it felt a little bit like slam poetry put to music, but it it did. The last song of the film is very melodic and I really liked it. I don't know. I don't know. To me, it was just like cow pie biscuits, underrated alligators, outrageous orangutans. And everyone's like, yeah, keep going, keep going. No, I don't think it was that pretentious and aloof. Like I, th- I, there was some musical talent there. For God's sake, uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal, who's wonderful in this movie, plays the fucking theremin. So it should get four stars right there. Yeah, the theremin to me is like wizardry accordion. It's like a, it's like a magical bagpipe. It's way cooler than a bagpipe. It's cooler in that how it works is cooler. It's like the defining sound of traditional science fiction. Tony, Ugh. the theremin. Do you think it's hard to play the theremin? I think it's hard to play everything. You just wave your hand around? I couldn't play the recorder. as it, I was a spazzy piece of crap. You could play the theremin. I almost guarantee it. Yeah, no, I don't. Whatever, I don't care. I'm not trying to take away anything from Maggie Gyllenhaal. Shout out to Maggie. But like, I don't know. And I, I would, I'm almost definitely wrong. But it doesn't seem, I don't know. It, it's a cool instrument. It's like a bagpipe to me. Like I, I'm not going to go to a theremin concert. The theremin is indisputably awesome, okay? And this anecdote has concluded. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I also like Benedict Cumberbatch. So. <laughs> You're going to have to come or, or get at me with a better, with a better uh, Benedict comeback. <laughs> I really fucked that up. <laughs> the... the I liked the performances. They were very, very raw. Like the fact that Maggie was actually looking like she was kind of losing her mind in the music was really cool. But the music itself was like, would you go buy this album? I think I would. I liked it. What? I listen to the soundtrack for Little Miss Sunshine all the time. Like I'm weird that way. I really like movie soundtracks. That's a different. All right. Sorry, Tony. Like I, it's I, fine. It's, it's I, I'm not offended. Okay. Also, I was kind of like not in a great headspace when I watched it yesterday. I got that impression. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there were some other things that we're talking about that were going on in my life that were kind of bumming me out. And then we watched this movie on a day early, and I wasn't really in the, the 
mindset of watching a movie. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of like forced myself through it. And it wasn't the kind of movie that you can watch without an open heart. Yeah, you got to have a lot of patience for this film. Yeah. Because it's really, it leans pretty heavily into certain like indie tropes. Right. But in any case, what I was saying earlier about what I thought the arc of the film was, I thought that we were going to see our hero eventually earn the right to be in the ranks of Frank, of in, in Frank's ranks. It would have been good if he got into Frank's ranks, but instead it kind of just went stank. No, it did not go stank. It went in a completely awesome direction that I loved. You thought it was dank? I thought it was dank. I did not think it was stank. My face is blank right now. Okay, well, we should stop. So um, instead, the actual uh, arc is um, our lead character wants desperately to expand the audience of the band. And everyone in the band is highly skeptical of this. They think that getting increased eyeballs on a, a person with crippling anxiety is going to basically implode him because they know Frank and they've worked with him for years and they know the kind of music that he likes to make and they just want Frank to be himself. So all throughout the movie, like Maggie Gyllenhaal uh, says repeatedly to the lead character, she's like, I don't trust you. I don't like you. I think you're an asshole. And uh, everyone else kind of repeats that sentiment. And in the audience, you're like, when will this turn? Uh, when is he, when is the band eventually going to like him? What is he going to do to win them over? And he never does. And so I, I was like, I was confused by this uh, very late in the movie. I was like, where the fuck is this going? Um, and basically our lead character tries to bring Frank to a music festival in the States and expose him to an audience of thousands. And he wants to commodify the band all throughout the film as well, he's recording the number of followers that they have on Twitter and Instagram, and he's tracking the number of YouTube videos and repeating it in Frank's ear to let him know, like, hey, listen, we have clout, we can make it big, and you should really, uh, you should be a star, not realizing that this is not something that would be good for Frank. Do you think that this was mischievous and villainous on his part, or... Poorly conceived from a lack of experience and a lack of understanding of Frank. I think that this is kind of a story of how ableism can be harmful toward disabled people in a way. Because when we tell disabled stories, we expect certain story beats. This is what Domhnall Gleeson wants. He thinks that the story of Frank should be that he becomes this super successful uh, artist and that he finds the courage to take off his mask and that he is cured. That is the story that we go in this movie, like wondering, you know, is Frank going to be cured? And the movie does not give us that. It doesn't give us Frank's big moment in front of a validating audience. Uh, it tells us instead that this attention seeking is bad for Frank and for us, we should feel guilty for wanting this. So throughout the whole movie, Maggie Gyllenhaal is telling us, the audience, that we are being shits, that our expectations are not okay, and that the movie will not give us, will not fulfill those expectations. Yeah. And then what we, what we instead get is a very healthy uh, rumination or reflection uh, on what it actually means to have a mental 
health issue. Frank's eventually Dom Hall pushes Frank to the point of break, breaking and Frank goes home to his parents. So Dom Hall goes to visit Frank at his family home and his parents tell Dom Hall like Frank has been sick his whole life. Like I made that mask for him and I'm not happy about it because it ended up being a poor crutch for him that he was unable to get rid of. But ultimately Frank is not gifted because he's mentally ill. He was always gifted and his mental illness is a hurdle that he has to cope with. So it's 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 demystifying the inherent celebrity of mental health of mental illness or disability and I think it does it incredibly well. And then at the end of the film there's a wonderful wonderful music number that is sung directly by Maggie Gyllenhaal and Michael Fassbender and it's again sung like in frame and I think it's it's a banger. It's like quite a a moving climax to the movie. I mean it's I don't know if I would go that far. It didn't it didn't work for you cuz it's like it has a bit of that like free form <clears throat> like made up on the spot kind of pretentious uh hipster crap. And I would agree with that except that, you know, Fassbender can actually sing and so can Gyllenhaal. He wasn't singing. He was just saying words. Eventually, they applied melody to it and shit. He was like, it's a wall. There's a house. I like you. I'm not a mouse. I mean, it was it was a very sentimental moment. And I, I don't want to take away from that at all. But the but, song was not a banger. But it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a literal uh, applied example by the film of how therapeutic music is for Frank, because I think in that moment he takes yes. his street, he, he he takes his stream of consciousness, which he is experiencing uh, during a kind of a breakdown during a legitimate life crisis. He applies his stream of consciousness to a jam session and creates a song out of it, and you immediately understand why he makes music. He does not he does not make it in order to be a visible artist he makes it in order to be a better person in order to function and so people who find this idea compelling like you got to watch the movie it's very good but also watch the devil and uh, the devil and daniel johnston i think uh danny johnston is heavily uh is a major influence on this movie also watch coda it's a great movie yeah watch coda but yeah uh that is one of my favorite documentaries the devil and Daniel Johnston. But um, anyway, I think this movie's fucking great. I don't know. It's fine. That, that's my review. It's fine. But I just love that, that like, in light of uh, how the movie resolves, like, you immediately understand why Maggie Gyllenhaal uh, was so hostile throughout the whole movie. Like, at first, I thought it was just like, oh, this is just like a quirky kind of uh, character you'd see in a Edgar Wright movie, like Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Just a, a a disagreeable female lead who um, is aggressive and cruel for the sake of comedy, and just a. But doesn't the ending kind of talk about how Frank is better now? No, Frank's not better. I mean, he seems like he's not putting the mask back on. He's out in public without it. He's moving in that direction. I mean, I suppose so. But our lead character is not. Uh, like he's not our hero by the end of the film. I believe that Dom Hall is actually a villain for for imposing his expectations of Frank onto the movie. Yeah, they definitely 
frame him as a villain. In the last scene where they're on stage together, he's in like a black leather jacket with black eyeliner on. Like it's pretty clear that you're supposed to see he's a villain at that point. No, well, in actuality, he's sheepishly in the background, like looking somewhat ashamed, but also happy that at least Frank is making the kind of music that he likes. But I don't think we're under... Like, I think it's understood that, like, Dom Hall and the audience should not be constantly expecting these particular kinds of stories about mental illness and disability. And I think it does it, like, in a very subtle way that does not hit you over the head, is not overly expository. You know, it's not making a, a grand wordy statement. Like, it, it, it does prove its point, I think. Yeah, I mean, I agree that it does do something positive for the plight of mental illness and maybe disability in that we do, as you say, commodify these stories often for ableist gains. Yeah, and people, we all, we also don't, there's not enough vitriol at it. There's not enough Maggie Gyllenhaal's in the world to tell Dom Hall that he fucking sucks and that he only does this because he's not, he doesn't, he starved for attention. <laughs> I struggle with it though, because like there is an element of, of me that tries to and wants people to meet people where they're at and not expect more than that. But there's also a part of me that wants people to push me and to not just say, you know what, you get a pass on everything because of what you're going through. So I struggle where to find that line. I think at the end of the movie, the main character was in the wrong, but I don't think he was villainous throughout. I think he just sort of got caught up in the moment at the end of the movie. Like I think going into it, he had the right intentions. He was really trying to connect with Frank. He wasn't exploiting him. Uh, and I think he thought that he was doing the right thing. I think he thought he was helping the band and helping Frank and helping himself for sure. But I do think that he was trying to do the right thing. And then he just kind of got caught up in it all. See, I thought so too. I liked him up until the last quarter of the film. Um, and I like when you're thinking about it in retrospect, like the first, uh, the opening 15 minutes that we, we see Dom Hall like at work, uh, uh, or like tweeting about his day-to-day life and really trying hard to make up or to create a pop song that slaps the idea that he might actually be creatively vapid and attention seeking never really crossed my mind because he's so kind of like innocent looking and innocuous and likable. And I do agree with you. Like we should meet people halfway, but I'm getting older and it, that's a labor and I'm kind of tired of that labor. I have my friends now. I have my support network. I have people in my life that I've worked really hard to build relationships with. And I don't really want to keep doing that. And I, I do like the idea. You don't want to keep doing what? Meeting new people? I, I don't want to keep meeting people halfway on matters of disability. Like, I would like for us it's to It's not just a- on matters of disability, though. It's like on matters of personal growth. Just like I was saying at the beginning when... I want someone to call me out for something. It doesn't have to be about my disability. Yeah. But I just want someone, I don't want someone to think, oh, he has a disability, so just let him be. Like, I think that 
just because I have a disability shouldn't exclude me from being pushed. And of course, by nature of asking that of people, some people are going to push me or pull me in directions that might not be the best for me. Yeah. But that's ultimately up to me to make the decision whether or not I take their advice. But I don't, I don't want to limit people from trying to push people because of potential negative consequences. I agree with you. The people should help you grow as a person. And it doesn't matter if that person's able-bodied or disabled. Right. Like, you know, everyone should be able to learn from one another and to grow. And to we should all have role models. Like, I totally agree with you on that. I'm just saying that I, I do still like the message of this film. Yeah. Sometimes I don't want to, to be constantly doing that labor of meeting people halfway and of introducing them to disability. And like, I, 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 it's tiresome. Yeah, but that's not really fair. It, it is tiresome, of course. But if you say, I don't really want to do that, then you also shouldn't expect people to do it for you. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true because because if you normalize disability, then you no longer have to do that labor because society writ large does it for you. But these are the conversations that we unfortunately have to have in order to normalize disability. I agree that it's unfortunate and a, a laborious endeavor, but if we can do something, it's force ourselves to have these conversations for the greater good of the disability community and ideally society at large. By the way, though, uh, Frank does distinctly tell Dom Hall that, that he does not like the direction that they're going in. He tells him repeatedly that this is not the music that he wants to make and that he feels trapped and that he basically wants to go home. Mm, yeah, but he also, there are parts where Dom Hall's like, hey, actually, I think we can do it this way. And then Frank's like, oh, this is amazing. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So yeah, Frank gives him the benefit of the doubt because he's a creatively generous person and he wants to make sure that each of his band members feels included and that their their talent is validated. Yeah, so I mean, I guess Frank is to blame for some degree of this, but I still think that Dom Hall is... I'm not saying this to try to make people to blame. I'm just saying that it's a very nuanced movie with a very nuanced message and... I really like the message. I like that the message is, you know, we don't have to try to force people into this cookie cutter narrative. I totally agree with that. And I would like to perpetuate that that idea. But at the same time, the movie itself just didn't really resonate with me. And again, it might have just been where I was at personally, mentally when I watched it. Mm -hmm. But... To me, it left something to be desired. I did like the characters, um, and I liked what they were doing with it. It, it was a unique movie, no doubt about it. Uh, a one-of-a-kind movie that I'll probably never forget because it is so unique. I just haven't fully parsed what parts of it don't sit well with. There was an, in the final musical number... When Dom Hall takes Frank to back to Maggie Gyllenhaal after meeting Frank's parents, the final musical number, there's a deep affection between Maggie and Michael Fassbender. When she realizes that he's riffing, that he's creating a song on the spot, and that he still wants to create with them, that he's not broken, that he will like soldier forward, that there was something really 
like something really deep about that. It it wasn't just like a like a happy ending. There was something both uh, sad and quite profound for me. And I know those are um, heavy adjectives to use, but I don't think you I don't think you could have achieved that without uh, somebody like Jalen uh, Holland Fassbender at the helm. And I don't think that the movie could have gone there if it wasn't a weird indie film in 2014 that no one remembers or revisits. I know that they were trying to make Gyllenhaal a complicated character. And they succeeded, I think. They did, but they, like we also glossed over the fact that she raped the guy. It was consensual. I rewatched it. It was consensual. It was just very aggressive. She was like drowning him and banging his head on the back of a hot tub. Well, they were in a hot tub. Yeah, I don't know. Didn't look like he was enjoying himself. It was rough sex, but it was consensual. At the beginning, maybe. (laughs) It was black comedy. I mean, yeah, it potentially pushes boundaries, but, you know, it it wasn't the dress. (laughs) That's for sure. No, I don't know. That didn't make me gain empathy for Maggie's character. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. And actually, you know, she could have taken out that sexual frustration on Frank. Because ultimately, like, he's the one that she loves. Or not on another person. You know what I mean, though? Like, sexual tension. It it was clear that she only used our lead character because of uh, it had been a while. Yeah. I don't know. I would give the movie, like, a 6.2 out of 10. Mm, Yeah. I'd give it a 7.4. Okay. Would you like to give it a rest? Yeah, yeah, we can conclude there. One last point I would like to make. <laughs> we can conclude here. Let me keep going. <laughs> no, but one last point is um, if if uh, Michael Fassbender uh, were an adult performer. This is a pun. His name would be Michael Assbender. <laughs> Wheel breakers. Jamie, I'm going to make you able-bodied, okay? Sure. But here's the deal. Okay. From here on out, you can never take your pants off. Ever? Ever. And I can't wash them? I didn't say that. Or like I got to go to a car wash? You can jump in the pool, maybe. Oh, my God. You can shower with your pants on. Shower with my First of all, what pants would you choose? I'd have, well, it would probably be some denim because denim is pretty resilient. Yeah, that's true. It is resilient, but it also takes a while to dry. Yeah, it's also terrible to sleep in. Whenever you fall asleep drunk in your jeans, it's like waking up with the hangover is not even as bad as sleeping with the fucking jeans. Yeah. And what if you had to take a shower before bed? You'd get into pants. You get into bed with wet pants. Oh my god. Yeah, I mean that's that's disastrous. Like your your pants would get moldy after a while, like your shower chair. Yeah, you get some black mold. <laughs> um, so you choose jeans? I don't know, man. This is a tough one. Because you also have to consider this is the last pair of pants you ever wear. Like a wedding comes up, you have to be ready for that. But also like, you know, like you said, sleeping, you got to be ready for that. So you got to find something versatile. But I wonder if it's hard for able-bodied people to roll in bed with jeans on because to roll yeah because for me with cp it's really hard 
like to roll in general, but it's super hard to roll in jeans. It's like trying to roll with, and you're sharing your bed with sandpaper. I, I don't know. Like, I feel like able-bodied people are so good at rolling. <laughs> First of all, that's ironic because like if anyone's good at rolling, oh, it's here we go. wheelies. <laughs> yeah, you're on a roll, Jamie. <laughs> Thanks, dude. <laughs> Thanks, dude. Uh, Take two. What was that? <laughs> no, I just like whenever I say you didn't. You didn't like the way you said "dude" the first time. <laughs> no, like I said it laughily, but I meant I wanted to say it like "oh, dude." Oh, okay, but it wasn't take two. Keep it in. Oh, I know. I'm fine on it. <laughs> All right, so back to the pants thing. Okay. Like, should I, can I consult NASA and ask them if they have like a, a non-wet pant, like that just stays dry no matter what? How long are you willing to wait for these pants? What if they exist already? You think you're going to get it? You think today you're going to be able to reach out to NASA and get future pants? Yeah, maybe. Like, do do you think they would be like, oh, true. <laughs> We have some of these pants ready for you. What's your address, Jamie? (laughs) Maybe if they understand the stakes. Like, I could say, like, it's for science. Right. Like, magical cripple science. I don't want to say yes to this, because I feel like you might even be able to exploit it for, like, a fame thing. You could, because then NASA might start following you scientifically to try to see whether or not it's helping them or helping you. (laughs) Like I'm their test subject? Yeah, and I don't really want that for you. You don't want me to be a successful NASA UAT tester? No, not as a result of what I'm trying to make as a difficult decision for you. Oh, so you think that I'm trying to... Okay, well... I think it might make it too easy for you to say yes to this. Do do astronauts take off their pants? (laughs) That's a really good question. Do they have naked showers? I think they can take off... Yeah, because... They're not in their astronaut suit in the ISS. Yeah, but they must be like there. There must be some weighted garment that they wear, like pressure socks for your whole body. No, I think you can just float around. Weird. I don't know how the shower works though, because like the water isn't going to fall down. Yeah, I, th- this whole wheel breakers must be akin to being an astronaut in space. That's what I've concluded. Okay, so. Does that help clarify whether or not you'll take it? I mean, I'll take it if I can wear space pants that dry quickly. And if you can only wear jeans? Because if I can only wear jeans, like I'm going to have other problems. Like I'm, I'll get, I'll get mold sickness and like no one will ever uh, love me. <laughs> so if you can get space pants <laughs> that stay dry, you will wear these probably ridiculous looking space pants for the rest of your life yeah well i don't know because then if you have pants they're always dry Mm -hmm. there will be occasions hopefully where you'll want to lube up and you can't do that if it's (laughs) please never say that again (laughs) you got to get moisturous i'd rather you say moisturous (laughs) Uh uh-huh okay so you get moisturous and lube up this is a terrible wheel breakers. No, it's not. That's rude. Well, I I just mean like terrible in terms of 
like the hypothetical experience that I will be enduring. Well, that's the point. <laughs> <laughs> the real breaker isn't to be like, all right, so check it out. I'm going to make you able-bodied and rich. Will you take it? <laughs> and rich. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, I don't, I'm not going to take this one because I need to change my pants. <laughs> that's fair. That seems like a reason. What if it was that, like, you can change your pants, but you can never, except for simply changing them, you can't be without pants. So, like, you're always in pants, but you don't have to worry about the dry thing. I don't, I always wear pants anyways, because I don't like what my legs look like in shorts. Yeah, but, like, you have to shower in pants. You have to lube up in pants. I'll just wear, like, one of the, like, I'll just wear, like, windbreaker pants. You're going to get moisturous in pants? <laughs> I mean, it's obviously it'll be an obstacle. Yeah. I Yeah, you know what? I don't like this. I I don't want to do it. Okay. You don't have to. <laughs> Thanks, Tony. Are you ready for mine? Yeah. All right. So you get to be 100% able-bodied, mm-hmm. but you have to use the word moisturous five times a day in, in, in the workplace. <laughs> Are there any limits or, cr- or criteria on when or, like, can I just say moisturize five times in the last <laughs> minute of the day? And they'll be like, gotta go, bye. <laughs> All right, well, I'm really clocked out, but moisturize, 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 moisturize. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good night. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dying. <laughs> Would that be fine with you? People be like, why does he do that? Like, <laughs> Every people start googling it. Like, do you know what he's saying? <laughs> they would probably just think you were quoting some like Adult Swim show. You know what I would do? I would add an Urban Dictionary definition of the word moisturish that just means like have a good day. <laughs> and then people would be like, "What is he? Oh, he's just saying have a good day." I've never heard that before. <laughs> 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 oh man, I'm dying. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, like, all the days where you don't say moisturous, <laughs> you have to wear a shirt that says moisturous across the chest. Yeah, that would be even easier. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. But, I mean, it depends how, it depends how, like, much you hate the word. Uh, not as much as I would like to be in Cirque du Soleil. I think I would do it, honestly. You think you'd do it? Yeah. I think it would honestly, like, I would like to follow you around with a camera for the first week of having to say that. I would just, uh, like, work it into a sentence, like, as if I just slipped up. Mm -hmm. Does it have to be verbally, or can I text it? (laughs) If you could text it, then you could just, like, buy a burner phone and then text the burner number. (laughs) (laughs) No, I wouldn't even do that. I would just send it to five random people I don't talk to every day. (laughs) I don't talk. Yeah, I just go through my contact list and be like, oh, yeah, went to high school with this person. Moisturous, 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 moisturous. Live to see another day. Stay moisturous, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Good skincare is important. (laughs) (laughs) All right. right. Let's wrap it up there. This cake is not dry. Moisturous, 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 moisturous. (laughs) 